We want to welcome everyone to tonight's class on the book of Revelation. Tonight we're going to be in Revelation chapter number five, um, hopefully get from verse five through 14 tonight. Just to set the stage, I want to remind you where we were last week when we left off. Now we're still in the throne room of God, but if you remember what happened last week, uh, a book was presented and this book had seven seals on it and it was asked if there was anybody that was worthy to open it. And so the angel proclaimed this out throughout all the universe and there was none that was that was worthy to be able to open that book. None that none across the universe, no created being was worthy to open this. And verse number five is where we pick this up. It says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So when David heard the, originally heard the news and that they were looking for somebody to be able to open this, and there was none that was worthy, he began to weep. He began to weep because he wasn't going to be able to see what was in this book. The things of this book weren't, weren't going to come to pass, that the seals weren't broken. And so the angel tells him here, or I'm sorry, one of the elders tells him here, um, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. So we see that we, some of the titles that are given to this person that is worthy to open up this book. And first of all, he talks about it being the lion of Judah. This was a title that was given to the, to the Messiah. It's a symbol of the lion being the strongest, most powerful. Uh, Judah was the, the strongest, most powerful tribe of Israel, and the lion would be the most powerful of that tribe. Um, all the way back in Genesis 49, uh, God had prophesied, prophesied through Jacob that um, his own son Judah would be a, a lion's whelp. In other words, a lion's cub. And from that lion's cub, what do lion cubs do? They grow up to become lions. So from that tribe of Judah. So this is the lion of Judah he's talking about here. He says he's the root of David. The Messiah was to come from the household of David. So we see another description. It says he's the one who prevailed. He's the one that conquered. He's the one that won the victory. He's not the one that gave up under temptation. Um, therefore, he is the one that is able to open up this book of destiny. And verse number six, it says, and I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So we see suddenly John's focus is shifted. Suddenly he notices something that he hadn't seen before. Either, the, either this person wasn't there before, or he hadn't seen him with everything else going on, but he sees one standing in the midst. He's standing right in the middle of the room, right in the middle of the throne room, in the middle of the, the elders, in the middle of all the angels, in the middle of the four beasts. There's one who is standing there. Um, and this is John's first sight of this one, this lamb that is there. It's the first glimpse of Christ, and he immediately noticed five things. He noticed he was there right before the throne of God, before the throne of the Father. He noticed the, the beasts that were surrounding him. He noticed that the, the, the circle of elders was surrounding him. Jesus Christ was the very center and the very focus of everything that was going on in this room. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. Notice how he talks about him being a lamb. He's that sacrificial lamb. This is a, a picture of the, the lamb that was sacrificed during the Passover. It's a picture of the, of the lamb that um, bore our sins. John the Baptist. When he was here on the earth, he proclaimed in John 1, 29, he says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God. This is the one who would, 
sacrifice, John continued and said, which taketh away the sin of the world. He is the one who was preordained to be sacrificed. He is the one who came to be sacrificed. He's the one that prevailed and, and overcame and was sacrificed for our sins. Um, the word here, it's kind of an interesting study. Um, I don't do a ton of word studies because word studies have a tendency of of taking you down rabbit holes. One word leads to another word leads to another word. But but there's an interesting thing about the word lamb that's translated here in the English for us. In the, in the original text, the word lamb, uh, they use two different words for this. And throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, it was, it was one version of this word. Of course, in the Old Testament, it was a different language. But in the New Testament, they, they used one version of this word. And in the New Testament, they used a different one. In the, in the New Testament, I mean, in the, in the book of Revelation, they used a new, a new word. And the, throughout the New Testament, they used the word amnos to mean lamb. But John here uses the word erneon. And my pronunciation may not be perfect on these words. But the difference in these two words is the sacrifice. The, the one is just talking about a lamb. And the other one is talking about a sacrificial lamb. John chooses to use this word because he's emphasizing the fact of the slaughter, the suffering and the pain and the humiliation of Christ all the suffering that is seen. In, in essence, it's the lamb is now alive, but he still has the marks of the sacrifice. It, he is the sacrificial lamb. He's not just any lamb. He is specifically being called out here as being the sacrificial lamb. This points to Christ being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Uh, number three, we see the omnipotent power that Christ has over the universe. He has the seven horns. And of course, we we know that the seven symbolizes completeness. Horn symbolizes his power. So the seven horns is a symbol of his power, not just partial power, but omnipotent power. Everything in the universe, everything in the world, everything in heaven is subject to him because he has that omnipotent power. He also has the um, supreme intelligence. He has the supreme knowledge of everything in the universe which is symbolized by the seven eyes. Again, that seven being the term of completeness. He, he has perfect seeing. He has perfect knowledge. He has perfect intelligence. There's nothing that escapes his understanding. There's nothing that escapes his, his sight. Everything is perfect when it comes to that. Uh, Jesus is also sovereign. Notice he, he walks alone and takes the book of destiny out of the hand of the Father. There was no request to do that. There was no... Um, he didn't ask permission to do that. He doesn't need to ask permission. He doesn't have to request it because of his divinity. He is the only one that can read this book of destiny. Um, this is referred back all the way back to Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John. We see that, that Christ is that one. He is the only one who is worthy to reveal the things that are contained within this book. He alone is that one. Let's look at verse number eight. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and, and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our king 
unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And beheld, and I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and ten thousands of thousands. We see this majestic worship that starts to take place all around this slain lamb, this sacrificial lamb. We see the praise of the four living creatures and the elders who surround the throne. And then there's this wave of, of uh, praise from this numberless host of angels. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about them in just a moment. But we see this, this worship taking place, uh, a majestic worship of all the creatures of both heaven and earth. Um, note the praise of the four living creatures, the elders who immediately surround Jesus Christ and the throne. Um, they fall down before Christ, um, the lamb. They, they have harps. Harps are generally, um, through in the Old Testament, harps were the, the instrument of choice for singing psalms and playing along with psalms. Uh, we don't use a lot of harps today, but in essence, a piano is a harp that's been modified. If you open up the back of a piano, you'll see that it's actually a big harp inside there. That's why the pianos are so heavy. So even though you know we're not required to play harps, it's kind of interesting that that this this uh, piano that was uh, when they first started putting them in churches caused a lot of controversy. But the piano is actually a harp, and, and you know that's what they're using in heaven. Um, they also offer up golden bowls of incense to the Lord. Notice what, what the incense are. I, I don't know why this always gets me so excited. Um, a lot of people gloss over this part, but notice what's in the, what's in the bowls, these golden bowls, the, these incense. Look what, what it actually says it is. It says, and golden vials or bowls full of odors. That would be, you know, incense, something that you know, like a smoke, a smelling smoke, um, which are the prayers of the saints. These things that, that bring odor in heaven and sweet smellings to the nostrils of God are the prayers of the saints. They're our prayers. Sometimes, you know, I think sometimes when we pray, we wonder if God is even listening to our prayers. God's not only listening to our prayers, he's collecting our prayers and putting them in golden vials so that whenever he desires at a time of worship like this, they can be opened up and the odors of our prayers, the sweet smelling of our prayers can waft into the nostrils of God and those that are there. Think about that for a minute. I mean, that just that just humbles me and makes me want to pray more. It kind of shames me a little bit that I don't pray more than, than what I do. But it, I don't know why. I always get, I get goosebumps whenever I read that part. It's just amazing to me that my mumbles and my ramblings and my stammers are so coveted by God you know, there's not a lot of things there. There's a lot of creations there, but there's not like a bookcase in this room. There's not like knickknacks in this room. There's not all these things that all, you know, that we would ascribe to worship. It's just him and the creations and these bowls and these bowls contain my prayers and they contain your prayers. And for whatever reason, that just, that just, I don't know. I just have so many emotions when I start to think about this. They start to, anyways, they start to praise God. They start to praise Christ. Uh, they praise him because he was slain. Um, he's the one, the sacrifice for us. Um, they praise him for his universal salvation. Um, in verse number nine, it says, for thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You see, the gift of salvation isn't something that, 
that is isolated to one people. In the Old Testament, it, oftentimes, well, pretty much, the world viewed God as being the God of Israel and not their God. Now, we know that even then he was the God of the entire world, but, but that was the picture, that, that he was the God of Israel. He's referred to the God of Israel over and over in the Old Testament. But he makes it very clear in the New Testament, and even clear here uh, by the worship that's taking place, that he's everybody's God. He's not a God. He's the God. He is the only true God that has ever existed and ever will exist. And they're praising Christ because of this, because of this universal salvation. It's not based upon how much money you have. It's not based upon the color of your skin. It's not based upon your last name or where you came from or how much uh, influence you have. It's based upon the fact that God loves you because you are his prized creation. You are a human being. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, not a certain group of, who, of people, but a whosoever. A whosoever simply means anybody. Anybody that will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Not just can be saved, shall be saved. It's open and available to every single person. Like we talked about in church today, it is the only fair way to come before God. Any other way would be prejudiced in some way. And then they praise him because of the great gift of, of royalty that he's given them. They, he's made them to be, uh, be kings and, and, and princes and, and given them positions of authority and uh, to make them priests. They're ruling on the earth. They're ruling in this new city that we'll be looking at later on. They'll They'll have the rule there. And so they're praising him for all of these things. Verse number 11. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain and slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. So we see these angels again. We mentioned them a little bit ago. We see them again. And it's, you know, notice what's happening here. It's that you've got in the middle, you've got the father and the lamb. You've got these four beasts. You've got these bowls. You've got the, the 24, the, 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 it just keeps expanding out. You got the 24 elders that are there. And now you've got all these thousands, tens of thousands of thousands of angels. So many that John couldn't even come up with a number. This isn't a number. This is a, a, a almost a rambling of John saying there's too many angels here to even know, even to be able to give a number for. It's beyond his comprehension this time. He, he's completely overwhelmed here. It's an innumerable number. Their song, though, their song has seven different points to it. They praise the Christ for his power. They praise Christ for his riches. Notice, well, let's back up a little bit. They praise him for his power. Again, that, that omnipotent power, that power that that is without, not only without equal, but you take all the power that any other man or or fake God or or any any being has ever possessed, including Lucifer himself, you put all these together and they don't even come close to the power of, of Christ. That's how far, how much power that he has over everything. They praise him for his riches. Literally everything belongs to him. Everything that we own that we think is ours actually belongs to Christ. And so we have, we, he's being praised here for his riches. And we should take, uh, you know, when we look at his power, we look at his riches, that should bring us comfort because it should bring us comfort because we should be able to um, see and understand that, that the, um, 
um, when we need power, we have the ultimate source of power. When we need riches, we have the ultimate source of riches. There's nothing that's beyond his power. There's nothing beyond his riches. When we need wisdom, which is the third thing they praise him for, then when we need wisdom, we can go to him. He's the source of wisdom. They praise him for his strength. They praise him for his honor. He is the, the son of God, uh, possessing the very nature of the father. He's not just a an offspring. He's a, a begotten son, which means he's not adopted children like, like we're adopted children. He is literally, if, if we could reduce God down to, to this for an example, he literally has the, the DNA of the father. Uh, but it goes beyond that. His very essence is the same essence as the father. And we praise him for his blessings. Um, every good thing comes from heaven. Everything good thing comes from his hand. And they are praising him for that in this new song that they are singing. Verse number 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So we see that, that we, there's this worship that's taking place. This overwhelming worship, the majestic worship of not just the, the four beasts, not just the twenty-four elders, not just John, not just this innumerable number of angels that's there, uh, but the entire universe in concert is worshiping the Lamb of God. Um, they're worshiping Him for blessing, their blessings, for their honor, all these things that that, that they were giving um, uh, praises to to Christ for. Now they're also worshiping him and thanking Him for the fact that that He bestows that upon them for their glory, for their power. And then the, the four living creatures shout, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped Jesus Christ, who lives forever and ever. Never has there been a chorus of worship, as we'll see in this glorious day. Never has there been a, a, an amen that's heard so loud as the amen that's proclaimed there. This glorious day of redemption when all creation shall praise him. Praise the one who is our Lord and our Savior, the Son of God himself. And rightfully so, because he's the one that's worthy to step forward and take the book. He's the one that's worthy to, to take that book from the, God, from the hand of the Father. He's the one that's worthy to rule and to reign over all of history, both now and in the last days and throughout all of eternity. He's the one that's worthy to break the seals on this book and bring about these, these, um, the wrath of God and the end time judgment upon this earth. He's the one that's worthy to do all of that.